Hello, everyone in the podcast world. You stumbled, stumbled upon our podcast, or you found your way here to a priest and a rabbi. Uh, my name is Father Christian here at St. Mary's Episcopal Church, and I am nothing, I am nothing without my colleague, my man in faith, Rabbi Matthew Durbin, and we are a priest and a rabbi, and we're just so happy that you're here to join us on another episode. And Rabbi Durbin, as you mess around with all your Zoom filters right now, um, can I just borrow you for a second for you to tell me what the heck are we going to be talking about today? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. Um, uh, I think we're gonna, we have a great show uh, before us. We have a, a wonderful, wonderful guest who's going to bring on, you know, his expertise and his knowledge on, you know, the, the, the state of the world on, in terms of how do we access and how do we inspire and try new things within our communities to, you know, to come about, uh, you know, some change. Is change necessary? And if change is necessary, which we all know that it is, how do we go about it? Wait, wait, wait. you, Rabbi Durbin, are going to be open to a show about how we seek change and transformation and new trends in religion? I'm always open about it. Whether or not I'm able to, to actually do it is something completely different. All right, all right. Well, let, 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 let's, let's, let's get our guy who just came in here on Zoom Airlines, uh, Lorenzo Labrija. He is the uh, founding director of TriTank, a place where they just try a bunch of stuff within the world of religion, specifically through a Christian lens and see what sticks. Um, Lorenzo, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Woohoo! Good, good. Oh, just looking at all, I need to find, I want that cat filter. How come I can't get the cat filter? I don't see it on mine. Y'all have really cool filters. My airline gave me nothing. <laughs> we're all on Zoom right now, trying to get <laughs> each other to crack up because we're all messing around with our Zoom filters. I'm just impressed that Rabbi Durbin knows how to use the filter thing. So this, we see we're helping you so much with your children, Rabbi. This is going to help you. Um, all right. So Lorenzo, you, you, are, you, are you prepared to, to talk about how you can help us try some new things out in our, in our respective uh, houses of worship? Absolutely. No, this is this is exciting talk. It's uh, there will, by the way, be a, a augmented reality is something that's coming in the future in case you're wondering. Uh, yeah, no, we're I'm very excited to share with you all have a conversation about where we think the church is headed where we're all headed. So it's gonna be fun. All right, everyone, um, we are going to blast off into this next episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. We got Lorenzo Labria from TriTank.org. Check it out. But first, listen to this podcast and have your mind hopefully be stimulated to brand new places of how we're trying to find and seek and embrace and be transformed by this awesome and wonderful God. Stick with us. A priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi. The opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted overallowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, Grab your Bible or Torah and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. 
All right. Good morning, everybody out there in sunny Stewart, Florida and beyond. Those who are podcasting from here to Yemen. We thank you for our fans in Yemen. Um, all those Ye Yemenites who watch or listen to a priest and a rabbi on um, whatever podcast platform you have. Uh, my name is Father Christian here from St. Mary's Episcopal Ch Church. Next to me is the most handsome rabbi you've seen this side of the Jordan River. It is Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Chaim. Um, let me just preface this by saying uh, nothing we say today has been approved by our respective homes of worship. So don't hold against them, hold against us. Um, it is a joy to have another sunny day here in Florida with my favorite rabbi, Rabbi Durbin. Good morning. It's good to have you here, brother. Good morning. It is, uh, it is great to be here. Well, today uh, we're, we're, we're leaning into the future. We're leaning into the future where even this radio show is Lee has leaned in the future because we are in our living rooms right now. We zoomed in on this. We have a guy from the West coast who zoomed in and we're, 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 we're exploring new grounds here, but rabbi, we, we joke about how you're the analog guy and I'm the digital guy. And we like to just tease each other about that. Um, how do you feel about leaning into the future with all this technology and maybe the temple forever is going to be changed of how we do religion and seek God in the digital age. How do you feel about this? This, I mean, we don't know where, where this direction is going in the next 10 years, but are you, are you nervous? Are you excited? What's going on? I, mean, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, it's like, it's like in our communities that I'm, I'm sure we're all familiar with is that in some semblance or degree that we want change. Um, and then when we implement change that in some degree, we're a little resistant to change. I think it's, I, I'm apprehensive. Uh, you know, I'm nervous. I mean, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, as you said, I, I live in an analog world. Uh, you know, the digital world is very challenging, um, you know, and it, it is difficult, but I think there's no going back, right? I mean, I think, I think, you know, what the situation has proven for us is that we have the ability and the insight and the foresight to be able to pivot and to start bringing community in every single aspect to our membership and beyond. Yeah, that's so right. I think on, on the one end, uh, I am I am excited about the uh, you know about the dawn of the possibilities of what we are engaging in, um, but on the flip side, I am I'm I'm anxious. I'm a little nervous. Uh, you know, it's just more classes that I need to take on on how to how to embrace the digital world. Well, yeah, and not just the practical part. The app sign. <laughs> that's right you just learned how to add someone on facebook and you can tag them um and just beyond the practical part there's a theological discussion about this that are we missing a depth in our understanding of god of connecting as god's people uh, i think our church has struggled with or we've actually but our eyes have been opened that we've learned that we've been able to have small groups online and do work about things as, you know, as heavy as racial reconciliation online with zoom boxes and still find a depth uh, that worked and the, we felt like the Holy Spirit was present, but it's, it's taken a while to get there. It's taken months and months and months to saying, okay, let's commit to this. And I think we can have some real in-depth discussions, prayer meetings, worship on Zoom and be open to the idea of the spirit uh, working through, the, through, through, through anything. Um, and we don't have to just be in person. Uh, there is a, a, a leader out there in God's kingdom who has Zoomed in all the way from the West Coast uh, and he uh, is a colleague of, of mine in the Episcopal Church. His name is Lorenzo Labrija. He is the, uh, the founding director of TriTank, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like. Let's get a tank and try a bunch of stuff and throw it at the wall and see what sticks. But he is a, 
uh, I, well, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he's definitely, I don't know, futurist is the right word, but he's, he leans into the future, but he definitely respects and is in, in grounded um, in, in our history as a faith um, and as a church. He's going to be on here to, to help us uh, wrestle with all of these, this tension in the church and in the synagogue and religion in general. Lorenzo just landed on Zoom Airlines. Brother, it is good to have you. I know it's early. Uh, thank you for being on A Priest and a Rabbi. It is my pleasure to be with you all. Thank you. It's good to be here. By the way, the, the, the preferred term is a foresight practitioner, means that you just tend to look and have foresight into the future, and, but that's, that's all. But you said you got certified in that. How does that happen? Yeah, there is an Institute for the Future in Palo Alto, California, and I took their trainings and I am certified as a foresight practitioner, which means all that means is that we all do this on a regular basis. This is just sort of training you to, to be on the lookout. You look for what we call signals, these little things that tell you like, huh, that's interesting. Anytime you go, huh, that's interesting. That's a signal of something. And, and, and generally, if you start to see a couple of signals about the same thing, so I'll give you an example. About four months ago during this pandemic, somebody wrote an article in one of the publications, I forget which one at this point, but said, what would happen if people lose the habit of going to church on Sundays? Well, that was interesting. That's interesting. Put a, you know, put a pin in that. And then Barna came out with a study. Barna is a, is a research institute that looks at, at church and they, they do a whole bunch of studies all the time. They came out with a study that actually said, we now have numbers that says baby boomers are doing anything to get back in the building, but by 30 points less, Generation Z doesn't want to get back in the building. You're like, huh, that's another signal. Put a pin in that. Then all of a sudden you see uh, an article like that came out like three weeks ago saying that the Church of England is anticipating that one, a full 20%, one-fifth of their pub, of their congregations are not coming back and they're letting getting ready to let go of priests within the Church of England. You're like, okay, something's happening here and that's a trend. It's no longer just one little signal that, so all that does is it, they teach you how to look for signals because then from those signals, you can actually put together some provocative forecasts. And all that means is that if these trends continue, if these little signals continue, one of the likely outcomes is fill in the blank. And then what you can do with that is be like, okay, is that a future we want to see happen? Or is that a future we'd rather avoid? And if you're, you know, ten, you, generally we look 10 years out, that's a good horizon. Then you're able to say like, huh, it is something we want. So why don't we start aiming toward where the puck is gonna go to start mixing my metaphors here, or that's not somewhere we wanna go. That's not somewhere we wanna go. How do we sort of start avoiding it, right? And so that's generally all that a foresight practitioner does. It's, it's just someone that's looking out for signals all the time. I read five newspapers a day. I read journals. I read books like there was no tomorrow. I read about a book a week. Uh, and it's just always looking for what's happening. What's, you know, I was about to say, ¿Qué pasa? You know, what is going on? Well, that's another thing, by the way. You know, I don't want to take over. There's just so many. I can tell you, for example. I think we just put a quarter in Lorenzo. That this, I know I probably shouldn't have had as much coffee as I did. Now, you know, the same way that this pandemic was in a way inevitable, there are other inevitables that are coming. And at some point we can talk about some of those if you want to, they're coming. And so it behooves us now to be prepared for when those happen. They're, they're gonna happen. And there's also, uh, I wrote this in a book that just came out. There are three things that are here to stay from the pandemic. We can also talk about those. I have my own book coming out. Whatever you guys want to talk about, I'm here. I'm your guest. Well, Lorenzo, you, there is many ways, the direction I want to go in. Because I think, I, I don't know if you were going this direction when you said que pasa, but America, the dominant language, very soon will be Spanish. And are we prepared for that? And, and, and also, as, as, as a church, especially as Episcopal church, 
we have a church that's pretty white. Um, we have a, a, a 90% white. And a mainline Protestantism, which is very white. Evangelicalism is very white. And there seems to be this big tension of, of, of connecting whiteness with, with Christianity in our country right now. And I feel like, is this a, like, into going, looking through your lens, a way of saying, whoa, I don't like that future. We're going to push back against that. Um, so, but we can save that for a whole other podcast. We, we want to talk to you about how, but just how do you deal though? We're, we're talking religion here. This is entrenched for Christianity, 2000 years of history. For rabbi, many, many, many more of the houses of years. How do you balance this? Like, we, we, this is where we're going, but hold up. We got scripture that's so entrenched in history. Like, how do you deal with that? I'm sure you got people clawing at you and saying, what are you doing? And do they call you a blasphemer? Or do you struggle with that? Because I know you're no just, you, you went to a seminary that's very entrenched in our the, the, the sacredness of our liturgy and orthodoxy. Um, is it, yeah. is it attention for you? Every time I speak to a group, there it more or less breaks down into thirds. One third of the people are like, oh, you are so cute with your experiments. You go on and do them. You just do that. We'll keep doing ourselves. These are generally the congregations that have large endowments. They're not, they're not needing for money right now. So everything's fine in the world. It's like, don't come rocking our boat. We are fine. We will, th this church will outlive us. And that's all we care about right now. Okay, that's fine. A third of the people are like totally in. How can we help? How can we do experiments with you and TriTech? What do we do? Sign us up. And a third of the people are the ones that look at me as like, hmm, I'm pretty sure you are the spawn of Satan. And at mm. some point, we're going to have to stop you. I literally, we want one of the experiments we did was called Spin Church, where we took church, the liturgical aspects of church, and put them into a spinning studio and mixed them together. And it didn't quite work. I'll be honest about that. Although an article just came out that Peloton's about to do the same thing. So we were just ahead of the time, apparently. But when when we did that, I literally had someone that came to me, why are you trying to destroy the Lord's day? I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I have that much power? I can destroy the Lord's day? Well, then <clears throat> step aside because people for thousands of years have been trying and we're unable to. If I can do it by putting it in a spin class, then then God's not as powerful as I thought. So yeah, it breaks down into thirds. What I do is, I don't so much focus on the ones who think I'm the spawn of Satan, or I don't focus on the ones who aren't interested in this right now. At some point, they probably will have a need for things that are, that are coming up and that where the spirit is leading us. Who I focus on are the ones who want to try it. That's still a large percentage of our church. That's still a lot of people. We have one thing that I discovered last, well, before the pandemic, I traveled 100,811 miles in one year, right? I travel a lot for work. That, in case you're wondering, that added up to 210 hours up in the air. That's five weeks, work weeks up in the That's air. That's a lot of books you read up in the air. <laughs> yeah, right? That's how I can read so much. But when I travel so much, what I, one of the things I was able to see is there's a lot of innovation already going on. There's a lot of great things that are happening. It isn't just tri-chain. We're just sort of trying them more formally with evaluative methods and all those things. But there's a lot of good things that are already being tried. And so we focus more, we lean into those that are willing to try with us right now and let the others at some point come along. There's no need to fight them. You know, I wonder, I wonder too, you know, because um, as you were talking in terms of, you know, looking at the Church of England and, and looking at, you know, percentage of those to whom, given the pandemic, the return back, uh, which I know, you know, every synagogue in the country is facing the same thing. I know we are whether it be a 10% reduction, 10, 20, 30, 40% reduction of those that say, you know what, the, the world has changed right now. We are a different world. 
Um, and I love the, the, the idea that you brought in about, you know, the spinning class and bringing that in with, you know, with, 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 with a community component, which is to say, um, we're trying to adapt and to reach out to those to whom in the past, um, you know, to bring you back in again through experiential or just different modes. Um, have you found that there have been more successful modes of access to bring people back to community? Or is it, you know, is it setting up focus groups to be able to say, what is it that you are searching or you are seeking or you are needing during this time? You know, where's the breakdown? You know, I mean, is it... One of the things that, that we discovered, and we did an experiment, uh, we called it uh, Facebook DNA. Uh, so as it turns out, we I read this study that said that there are a lot of people who are incredibly open to the message of the church, but who, when Sunday rolls around, they're like, okay, I can do brunch with my friends, or I can go to church. I'm going to do brunch with my friends, right? It's just not high on, but they have nothing against the church. It's not as if though they've been spiritually hurt. It's not as if though, nope, they just like... It's not high up there. They were probably baptized at some point, uh, or or at some point they they did their bar, bar mitzvah. Or, uh, but what what ended up happening is that life just led them in another direction, and they just didn't. It wasn't connecting with them. Maybe their nearby church place of worship just wasn't what they were feeling, so they just went away. But they're open to it. So, what we also discovered is that they're incredibly open to the message of social justice. These people they tend to skew younger. They're probably in their thirties, about thirty two. Uh, and so what we did is we went out and we said, huh, what if we could find these people? So we created a, a Facebook page to specifically target these people that were into social justice, but were not associated with the church. They weren't liking other churches. They weren't, they hadn't made, checked in at a church or something. Like that. We looked for people that were just into the message of social justice, but who also showed that they cared about spirituality. And of course, you know, Facebook is an incredibly powerful tool. They have more than 5,000 data points on each one of us who's ever been on it, uh, probably a lot more at this point. So this is why the Russians use it, right, to, to finagle with the elections. They're able to get to us. So we're like, could we use that power for good? So we went out and we found this page and we got about 5,000 likes, people who were open to the message, but who were not in church. And thus we called them not unchurched, not, not, we call them open. We call them the opens, people who are open to our message. Then what we did is we said, hey, Facebook, could there's, Facebook has a, a secondary incredibly powerful tool called lookalikes. In other words, if you tell them, hey, Facebook, I have a group here of 5,000 people. Can you find amongst those 5,000 data points some commonalities that would be abnormal that if you were to look at it statistically, you would say that's an abnormality. So I'll give you an example. Let's say that, for example, if you were to, to survey, this sounds like a family feud, right? If you survey 100 people, how many of them will say that their favorite color is blue? Let's just say, for example, that that happens to be 20%. Yet, Lorenzo, in your group of these opens, that number was 47. That's a really high number. That's a statistical anomaly above the norm. So what they did is they're able to look at many of the 5,000 data points to see what do they share in common, and then they go out and are able to look for the lookalikes, birds of a feather flock together. So we took our, our 5,000, that's a deep well of DNA, we called it. And we and so we're like, okay, we have these 5,000, let's test it. And our presiding bishop was having an event in the Diocese of the Gulf Coast there in, in Alabama, Northern Florida, the, the panhandle. And we there, there was an event going on and we are like, let's advertise just to those people only four days in advance about this event on a Friday night. And we did. 
and we spent not a lot of money and we got 187 people to attend an event who had never heard of the church before for $6 each. So if I came to you and said, hey, uh, Rabbi, I can get you for $6 new people to actually say yes to attending an event of, at your synagogue, you'd be like, that's an incredibly cheap way of me getting the word out. Then it's up to the Holy Spirit. It's up to you as a, as a congregation to show them that it's worthy for them to keep coming back. But we can reach these people. They're there and they're open to the message. Now, if your message is going to be you have to join us on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And that's the only time you'll be able to join us. And you have to listen only to the organ music that we're going to play to you. And you have to do it exactly as we tell you you're going to start losing them. So then the question becomes, going to your point about focus groups, can we talk to those people and figure out how can we bring you the faith that we find alters and transforms our life in a way that we, we dedicated our lives to it? How do, we, how do you want to receive this? Why don't we ask them how they want to receive this rather than us thinking like, here's how I think you want to receive it because we've always done it this way. And that's, I think, how you can do it. It's, it's a mixture. You know, I know uh, you said in the introduction that you were nervous about technology, but we need people like you. If, 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 if our church was only run by people like me, we might inadvertently lose sight of what's truly important. We need people like you, Rabbi Durbin, uh, the, the, yeah, to, to say to us, hey, don't forget this. This is important too. And that sort of holds us back a little bit and we'll say, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. We were going a little too fast. Let's, let's bring it back a little bit, back to what's like at core. So do you have a boss who will lean in on you sometimes and being like, uh, let, let, let's reel it in? Or how, how do you, how, who is <laughs> yeah. the you're, you are, you're the You're the main dog over at Tri-Tech. Well, I'm, I'm not funded by myself, right? I don't write myself checks. Uh, no, the two seminaries that, that own the Tri-Tank uh, are my bosses. So the deans and presidents of the seminaries, I, I'll, listen, I'm the first one to admit, and once a month we put out a newsletter, I'm the first one to tell you that two out of the three of the experiments we do fail, because that's what you do in experimentation. You try things and a lot of them aren't going to fail. If you're not failing enough, means you're not pushing the envelope enough. But second, there's, I'll tell you an example. One time I had this bright idea. I still think it's a great idea, but we, 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 we created a new rule that says first do no harm after this idea. And, and that was, I thought you probably have seen or heard of the show called Drunk History on Comedy Central. Mm -hmm. It's a great program. It's an easy, and I was talking to my nephew, I'm like, what? And, and we were probably had had a beer or two, I'm not gonna lie to you. And, and, and I was like, you know, somebody should do that, but like for Bible stories, it'd be really cool to just have someone do like drunk Bible. And I pitched it to my boss. And he's like, yeah, like, oh, okay, okay, we'll see what happens. Uh, and as we were getting ready to put it out and we put the word out that we were going to do this, we got a lot of pushback that, yes, while it is possible that the church could be there, is that the, is that the best way? Are there no other methods before going down that road that we could reach people? And, and that's sort of when we came up is like, we don't want to hurt people. There were literally people who were hurt by the, and, and these are people who are in recovery and we need to take those things seriously as well. So yeah, sometimes we stumble, even in Facebook. We're stumbling now into the moral question of Facebook because Cambridge University put out a study that says that Facebook is a moral problem because you are their product and they literally are selling you to other people. So by the church using an immoral tool, at which point do we draw the line? And literally the question that was pointed out to me is like, Lorenzo, would you roofie someone for Jesus? Hmm. Right. If that's the only way, would you do it? Uh, 
Probably not, for the record. I just want to put that out there before anyone thinks that Lorenzo is roofing people for Jesus. The answer is no. But it does beg the question, at which point do we say, yes, that's a powerful tool that could be used for good, but we're going to choose not to do it because it does more damage in the world than the good it does. Right now we have, an, and, and one of the things we're about to release is a new thing that we call theology and conversation, because as we bump into these moral issues, we're, we're talking to different theologians and saying, what do you think about this? And then at the end, I asked him, like, would you go forward or not? So literally the theologian we had said, no, I would not continue to use Facebook. We are still continuing to use Facebook because I believe that one of the ways we can do that is by putting good into this tool right now, putting good news into, into Facebook. So. Can you name, just for people to get even a better idea of how the process of TriTank works, that is it, is it, what, what does it look like? I'm assuming that you have like a team or a group of people you look to and say, what are the trends? What's going on? How do you meet the needs of, you see what's going on in the world, you see where, you know, in, in our context, Jesus is calling us, and then we look through the Lorenzo lens. Uh, how does that whole process go? Or people just tossing stuff at you and you're being like, oh, that's kind of cool. Let's run with that. Or does it go both? Like, how does it all work? So we're two years in. We are, um, uh, we have about 60 experiments that we've either tried, are currently trying, or so uh, two years in. And most of those are ones that we have discovered as we go along. So all of those things that you mentioned are valid. We get ideas that come in from people. As I mentioned, I look at the signals, right? I, I look ahead, what are some of the signals? What can we do to try? I'll give you an example, which goes to what you were saying earlier. You mentioned that Latinos are the fastest growing uh, demographic in this country. The year, by the way, is 2045. That is one of the inevitables. By 2045, whites will become the, uh, no longer the majority of this country. They will pass below 50%, and the largest minority group will be the Latino community in this country. So for, for a denomination that's 90% uh, white, that presents an issue in the not too distant future for us. And if we don't start playing to where that puck is going, we will have just, we will make ourselves obsolete. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we also know that two thirds of the Latinos who were uh, born, two thirds of the Latinos in this country were born in this country. Of those, 95% of them are bilingual. And the majority of those uh, by about 70% prefer to receive their information in English. Right. So the question is, why are we doing Hispanic Latino services in English where the music might be in Spanish, but the sermon is gonna be in English, the service is gonna be in English. So that's how we sort of do it. So one of the experiments, once we're able to gather back together in congregations is we're gonna do create a service that is in English, but aimed at Latinos. So we look at ideas like that by looking into the future, looking at where things are going. We try to find those things. We try to come up with ideas. We have this thing called the wisdom group that it's basically a texting group. I have over a hundred people on it. And if I have a quick question, like, Hey, should it be blue or yellow? I send it out to that group and I get about 70 responses right back. But these are people who are in the trenches who are doing stuff all the time. And one of the things we're about to do is we're about to engage some uh, experiment managers that we call them because right now it's a staff of one it's just me doing all this work and and two student workers at the seminary so what we're about to do is we're going to hire some uh, experiment managers that will pay to spend some time actually managing an experiment for us and in the throughout the and we're, we're actually expanding you, you think this is early for me i have to do us i'll be in south africa via zoom uh next month 
I'm doing a whole, I do a whole bunch of things in, in the UK. We work with the Church of England, Church of Scotland. So yeah, so it's, it's, we try to get as many, if, if, trust me, and this, and, and you can take a break if you want after this, but uh, if all of this was based just on Lorenzo and Lorenzo coming up with ideas, then I would have failed in, in starting this. It, it cannot just be based on one person. We have to try to grow this and, and get other people to think this way. That's why I have a book coming up. We can talk about that after the break. That's right. So if you have any innovative ideas or something you want to try to throw at the wall and see what sticks um, what it, in regards to faith and the, the search and seeking of God, it, Lorenzo's your guy. Hit him up. Go to go to Tritank. Lorenzo at Tritank.org. So we, is that, that your email, right? Lorenzo. That is my email, yep. All right, everyone. So we're going to take a quick break to find out how we keep the lights on here. And then when we come back, we're going to be diving in even in further about uh, where does Lorenzo see the future of religion in general, the church? What does he see the trends that are exciting him about what's going on? So listen, we got the rabbi who's the analog man. I like to think I'm more the digital man. We're going to be right back with the man who's the everything man, Mr. Lorenzo, here on A Priest and a Rabbi. You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And and I want to uh, let you know that I have uh, started a uh, YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor, someone to be there for you during a challenging time, and you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers
leaders who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh, my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome to part two of A Priest and a Rabbi. My name is Father Christian. I'm here with Rabbi Durbin. And we have with us today, if you missed the first half of the show, don't worry. The podcast is available to you. All you got to do is jump on your search engine and put A Priest and a Rabbi podcast, and you will see Rabbi's handsome face and my goofy face on there. And you can start listening to all of our shows. And you can subscribe, you can like, and you can leave a comment. Even when you leave a bad comment, it just helps our analytics. And so we love our haters as well. So jump on there. Um, we're going to continue with part two with Mr. Lorenzo. Um, and if you have a question for Mr. Lorenzo, if you're tuning in on our live show right now on 1450 AM, you can give him a call, uh, 772-220-9788, 772-220-9788, about your concerns or hopes for the future of religion and an innovative spirit in religion. Does that freak you out um, or does that excite you? Um, Lorenzo, I, I, we want to just take it all the way back here. We were talking about this during the break, that this is nothing new, this idea of innovation, of seeing things through different lenses in, in religion, obviously. God is God, and we're all just doing our best to try to understand him in new ways, in different ways. He doesn't change. You know, we do, right? And so can you take us back to some of the, 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 the forefathers and mothers of, of uh, those who sought God and did things that were really innovative we can look at it now maybe receive a lot of criticism then um, are there any people you draw upon or you look to it generally always draws criticism aquinas who's now considered a church father you know he wants someone a doctor of the church right he was for for several years after his death they're like let's not talk about aquinas anymore shall we just put him away for a while we don't think he was much of anything but we always try to discern you know at the end of the day we are feeble, small human beings trying to understand something called God, who created everything that is. Look at the book of Job, the end of the book of Job, when God finally shows up, it's like, dude, let me show you everything. You think you can try to understand anything? There is just no way. So every once in a while, and this is what's beautiful about God's spirit, is that God's spirit is always inviting us into something new, into something, a new reality, as the whole world itself is moving into a new reality. So the creed, uh, we in, in, in the church, uh, especially those that have apostolic succession, we have a creed that we say usually every Sunday. When that came out uh, in the early, in, after the Nicene Creed, and the first, new innovation, that was something new. Nobody had thought about, we should all just agree on one thing and say that thing that we all agree on because they had different. That's also when we came up with the canon of what we call Holy Scripture now. Up until that point, people were reading the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, whatever you, you would find, or whatever story Mrs. Johnson was telling you. This is actually a true story uh, in some of our smaller congregations. People read as sermons, articles from Reader's Digest, right? Because they don't have a priest there. So that's literally how we how that, that came to be. Let's do a creed. When you look in, in during the Reformation, Martin Luther was the first one who said, hey, these hymns are beautiful, but people aren't feeling them because they're in a different language and they can't sing them. 
So what would happen if we made them in our own vernacular and we actually made them so that people could sing along? Now who would think of a church that didn't have hymns that we could sing along to? We'd be like, well, that's just weird and crazy. Why would you do that sort of thing? So innovation, moving into new places is are generally things that, that it takes time. It takes sometimes centuries, depending on the tradition. But there will always be those people that are calling us to new and different things. There will always be those situations that push us further into them faster. And we just have to try to be like, okay, God, we're trying to, we're trying to be, I'll, I'll never forget this. When I, when I took this job, I asked, how will we know whether or not we're succeeding or failing? And, and I got two answers. One is because uh, we will have failed more often than we're, we're succeeding, which means we're not looking for a silver bullet here. We, we need to try and keep trying. That means failing. And two is, if we're just faithful to the call, that'll be enough. If we're just faithful to Jesus, the one we follow, that'll be enough you know, for us. So that's what we try to do. We try to be faithful. Everything's centered on prayer. We're always reminded that this is not for us. Even when we create an Alexa skill for people to pray with, this, with the smart speaker, it's not just like, ooh, how cool. It's so that people can engage with scripture. People can engage with God. It's all about that for us. So as long as we're rooted in that, I think that's what will make our work worthwhile. Yeah, because that's what was my next thing was, how do you guys stay, make sure with all the excitement that comes with innovation and seeing things through a different lens, there is the potential for uh, to get derailed by pride, to get derailed by just the sexiness of innovation and, um, and maybe even ego or, ju or just the thing, just get excited about the thing. Um, yeah. and, and, and especially as people of faith, we always have to just get back to that humility and stay focused on God. So what I'm hearing from you is prayer is a huge part of this, right? Absolutely. In fact, I have every day at noon, my phone uh, sounds an alarm. It's not an alarm though, it's a song. And it's just a reminder for me to stop whatever I'm doing. And I say, I just say one hour farther, but what it does, much like the monks with the bells, it reminds me to go back to the center, to what is important and why I do this. Prayer must be a part of all of our lives. And whether you're ordained or not, I happen to be a priest, but uh, anyone could do it where you're just reminded, I do all of this for God. So let's how say- do you, How do you, sorry, sorry. How do you remain current in terms of, you know, new innovative ways of, 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 of trying to, you know, embrace? In terms of you know, is, is there is there a think tank where we sit amongst a boardroom and kind of discuss, flesh out ideas? Is it looking at what's being being done currently, you know, in other churches or other communities and tweaking? Is it you know, uh, getting out of the box and out of our comfort zone to be able to just throw ideas out there, try it. If it fails, great, we can either improve it or scrap it. You know, I mean, for you, how do you remain current? So your question, I think, has two parts. One is, how do I remain current? There's a thing we're doing. Remember earlier when I was talking about foresight thinking and looking for signals, we're actually this year doing a, a true concentrated effort to expand what we call our signals network. So we are, we are gathering more data, not just from within the U.S., to your point, but also what are, what's the church in England doing? What's the church in Australia, in, in Hong Kong? So we're trying to look globally. So we're trying to get people in all those areas who could be like, mm, that's interesting and get us that story of that, mm, that's interesting because the more of those we are able to pick up, the more that these signals become an actual trend. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're expanding that signal network in a very uh, affirming sort of way. We're, we're being very intentional about how we're doing that this year. 
And two, the question is, how do we take these signals and then create something from them, right? How do we come up with an idea? If I gave you the signals about young people not coming back, how do we then turn that into something we can go out and try? We're a proof of concept laboratory, so we're not intended to, to keep on ministries, but we're supposed to prove that they can work and then pass them on to someone. So we use a process called design thinking, which is used in the business world. And we have adapted that design thinking process for the church. And so we use that process as a three-step process where you discover, you ideate, and then you go and actually try things. And by the way, that is what my book is about. Uh, it'll be hint, hint, dropping your hints. It'll be available for pre-sale in late, late, later this month, and, and, and it actually comes out in July, but it'll be available for pre-sale in, in February. Uh, but we try, so we, we have a, a methodical process. It's, it's, mind you, it's not, so this is the way innovation has generally happened in the church. And, and I'm, I'm sure most people, if you're listening, you can probably agree that this is what happens in your congregation is somebody has an idea. Hmm, what if we did fill in the blank? Let's just say, what if we did like yoga in the sanctuary? All right, good idea. All right, why don't you write a paper about that? And so they go and write their idea down in the paper. Why don't we get some research on that? Okay, let's get some research on that. Why don't we go out and then present it at a conference? Why don't we bring it up to the vestry? Why don't we bring it up to other people? Why don't we talk to experts? Why don't we? And then all of a sudden, 14 steps later is how you end up with a MySpace page in 2021. You know, all of a sudden, like, yeah, great idea. It's like, yeah, well, MySpace is no longer around. So you kind of missed the boat on that. What we try to do is like, let's come up with a quick idea, the simplest, cheapest, fastest way we can try something and just go out and try it. Then we'll figure out where's the spirit in that. Then we'll figure out what's the theological backing for that. And that's what design thinking allows us to do is to move really quickly into the prototype phase to be able to have an idea out there into the world. So with all of this work, you are constantly, and, and before, I, when I've talked to you in the past, I know you, you are an avid reader, like you said earlier. Uh, you're, you're looking at trends. Uh, you're also entrenched in the church. You are a priest. You've been a parish priest. Uh, you, you, you worked in the you worked in a diocesan office before. You've seen all these different areas, and, and but you also lean heavily into the future. With everything you're seeing, here's the big question, and this is just for and so Rabbi. This is going to be more of like a, an Episcopal question, but I think this will pertain also to 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 the Reform uh, Judaic tradition. So, uh, where do you see what are the signs? right now for the Episcopal Church in 20 years? What are the signs the tea leaves saying right now, good or bad, that we need to be aware of um, if we keep on doing, like my mom used to mess around with tarot cards, right? <laughs> and she would say, listen, these are not your future. They're just saying, if you keep on doing what you're doing, this is where you're going to be leading. You can change it. But what are the tea leaves with all your research and all of your study, where is that leading? What are you saying? I'm not sure I would go 20 years out. We, we tend to look at about 10 years because that's a, that's a more possible sort of thing is, well, digital church is here to stay. I, I see that as a strong, we are in fact working uh, on the development of a digital only church plant. And what would that look like? And what would that feel like? And sort of that. So, so digital church is here to stay. Two, if we take advantage of it, young people, are open to the message and we can now get them. We can now reach them in a way that they will be receptive to it. In a way that uh, you have to remember, one of the, if we look back for a moment, uh, during the 80s and 90s, a lot of young people grew up watching televangelists on television. And they ended up thinking that that's Jesus, that the, the, the woman with the purple hair is representative of Jesus and who she's telling me is Jesus. And they're like, and I don't want anything to do with it. 
Uh, that doesn't sound like someone I'd want to follow. I'm more interested in fixing the environment and income inequality and Black Lives Matters. And what you're talking about is give me more money for my airplane. So they've called us hypocritical and they've told us that we are exclusionary because uh, you know so much energy has been focused on like sexual morality. So that people have, however, now, when they're starting to see other services and they're starting to see what they call pure Christianity, whenever you talk to a young person about the church, if you talk to them about monasticism, their eyes open up wide and they're like, they, they're actually walking the talk. So we can reach young people and we can keep young people for the church if we want to. And I think some will take advantage of that. There's some experiments that are outside of Trijack that are being done in like Atlanta with Imagine Church and some of the other things that are happening out there. there we can reach young people and we can actually, we don't have to see, like we did television, we don't have to see the internet to just one version of what Christianity looks like. Digital giving is also here to stay. We will have fewer congregations, fewer dioceses, more of them will start to work together. What I think will ultimately happen is also we will have, well, it's interesting the way history goes, we'll end up with a more resourced church, one larger church that has more resources, a larger endowment perhaps, that will have satellite smaller churches. And so they'll share priests. They'll sh certainly all the back end and operations will be handled in one place. But so St. Mary's, for example, where you're at, uh, you might be a large church that has, if you have more than one priest, you're already a large church. So uh, you might have a smaller church in Pompano. I don't know. Uh, but you might have a smaller church in other places that are like missional churches for you all. That's a model that, that seems to work. Well, I think I see a lot more of people being able to do it against smaller, small groups, home churches. There's a... There's a really smart guy in, in, in Houston, uh, Father Steele, who is, is, he has actually planted a church that's made up of 12 missional communities. So they actually meet for breakfast at a Taco Bell. That's one church, 12 people. They meet over there at the bookstore. That's another one, the one that meets theology on tap, the one that meets at the gym. So he's got these 12, but if you add them up, all of a sudden he's got a congregation of 150 people. They just meet at different times in smaller groups with things that are in their affinity, but they're still by the book. They do the Book of Common Prayer. Those are the sorts of things. It's going to become more personal. It's going to become, I think, a little bit more smaller. Uh, the world right now, I think globalism spread too fast. And the trends say that now the, this is what gave rise to nationalism and politics is that people want to, uh, let's focus a little bit on us. And, and that's likely to happen also with church, uh, that churches are going to want, listen, it's not about the, making the next mega church, but can we make a smaller church? You have to remember 95% of Americans drive past a mega church to go to a small church where they're known where the story can be heard. So I think we'll see some more of that as, as, as we have smaller missional communities. And, and so, and, and the new realities, for example, not everyone will be there every Sunday is you'll, you're gonna have people that are there every four to six weeks. Oh, well, that's interesting. So that it, it, you, you think the weekly visitation or the weekly attendance of a worship space is, is gonna be 86 in favor of like once every six weeks? You're saying, you're saying, yeah, that that's actually already. Okay. That's actually already happening. That's not, that's not a, into the future. If you get new people to come to your congregation, it is unlikely that they're going to be there every Sunday. They're more likely to be there uh, every four to six weeks. And, mm -hmm. and so what we're doing is we're creating some experiments like prayer puppets that talk about how do we continue to do uh, children's formation if they're only getting every sixth chapter of the story on, in Sunday school. So can we create a, a Christian Sesame Street? So we are, 
we're creating a little Christian Sesame Street with Muppets so the kids can learn the, the faith, love, and happy, you know, all these things that, that they would normally learn in Sunday school, even if they're not in Sunday school. Now, do you think there's going to be, I mean, there, there, there's, is there also the, do you see any trends where people are going to want to push back on all the technology and say, I just want to go to a place where there's no technology, where it's just people, yeah. where there's just sacraments, where there's no Wi-Fi. And I, we need these little Wi-Fi islands where I could just go to where it's no Wi-Fi, no nothing. And I could just be a human being without, I don't want the screens. I, I don't want yeah. to be worrying about how many people are viewing live streaming. And can you make this place now because Rabbi will pick up his temple and take Temple <laughs> Bakayam all the way there and plant it in the desert. We're already seeing that actually. Uh, there's a study right now that's being conducted by, by uh, Oxford because in what they started to see in England was the cathedrals on Sunday night for Compline were getting huge numbers of young people coming. And they're like, why is that happening? What we believe the hypothesis seems to be is because it's very high invitation. Anybody can come in, very low expectation. You don't have to give your name. You don't have to give, do anything. You don't even have to get up and go get communion. You just sit there and you receive. So again, going back to the pure Christianity that they like, people, we are spiritual beings. So we will yearn for spirituality. And I think what they found with Compline at the cathedrals is that opportunity to just experience that. And, and it's also being tried. Church of the Heavenly Rest in New York City is doing a 30-minute service on Sunday night. A lot of young people turn up for it. It's very contemplative. It's got some prayer time. It's got some just sit there in silence time. It's got music. And it's, it's just but 30 minutes in and out. And I think people are, are enjoying that sort of, it doesn't have to be with lights and projections and all that. It can also be simple. There, uh, at, at our roots, one of the experiments we're doing is it's, it's about, can we take a monastery and put it in a downtown Holiday Inn ballroom and create for a weekend, basically a monastery in that ballroom and try to make it holy for young people to spark their, the Holy Spirit within them. We're going to try that to see how that works. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, Rabbi Durbin is not alone in this. All of us, every once in a while, need that respite, the, that a Sabbath from all the technology. And I wish all of us would take. So just because digital church is here to stay, by the way, doesn't mean that that's the only way. I, and I and I didn't mean to imply that. Uh, what what will happen is some people will receive it mainly through that. But all of us will yearn for the community. All of us will yearn for at least in a, in a in a sacramental tradition like ours. Will yearn for the whole for church and and. Something else to keep in mind, part of the reason why we miss our buildings right now is it, you, you, you mentioned that in the past you had Ian Markham uh, on your show. Uh, he wrote a book recently, and one of the things he says right in the introduction is, our churches are painted with the prayers of all those who have come before us. That's what makes them these holy spaces, is the fact that so many prayers have, so we yearn for that. We yearn for that place where my prayers will be added to the thousands that have been said here before I, I was at a congregation recently where I told them, she said, and all we can give the young people are these old books of common prayer. I'm like, how wonderful is that, that they're used? Imagine if by happenstance, a young person that's about to get confirmed happens to get the prayer book that their parent had one day when they were praying to get pregnant. And now that book inadvertently ended up in their hands. Well, it could. And that's what's beauty about our tradition, that we don't just leave it behind. We bring it with us. We bring all those prayers with us forward. So let's you know, check I, I, with I the that. rabbi. Yeah, I, I, I'm really curious about, you've been quiet on the show, about what you've been hearing all this. Is this freaking you out? Do you figure like your head's going to blow up or are you, are you excited? excited. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I was actually really impacted by what you just said in terms of all those prayers 
of, of yesteryear, of, 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 you know, the generations that have come before us to be able to utter those prayers, whether it be in a, you know, in a, the four walls of a sanctuary or in the confines of our own home or, or you know, personal petitions to God. And, and looking back to our past, because look, as Jews, we absolutely do the same thing. I mean, we can't go forward until we understand and unpack our past. Um, and I love what you said, because it is about all those prayers that have been uttered for so many generations before. But then I also think about all those prayers that have yet to be, yet to be spoken, you know, about that future generation. And I think we see the same within, you know, uh, Jewish community life in terms of how the synagogue has changed and altered over time as the church has changed and altered over time really listening you know to to what people want i mean you know we have a major movement in reform judaism the union for reform judaism and at one time it was very rabbi centered um and rabbinically led so it was what the rabbis had to say in terms of what their impression was and then at one point the union came back and said let's actually go into communities and find out what our membership what they are thriving for, what they want. And we changed the makeup of communal synagogue life. And I think I, what, what you said really struck and really resonated was, was obviously it is about the past. It's also about the present and about the future and about the future in terms of those prayers that have yet to be uttered, those prayers that have yet to be recited, even maybe those prayers that have yet to be written to be able to look forward to that generation of how we can progress towards something different. I think we are in a different mode and different access today. Well, there might be people Absolutely. thinking about uh, what is something different right now in their own worship community. And it could, it could be a temple, a mosque, a church, wherever it may be, an ashram. If they want to get their imagination stirring, I know you have a book coming out. Can you tell us about how they can get on the list to be able to get that book and or just learn much more about the movement of Tritank? Absolutely. Yeah. If people go to tritank.org, that's T-R-Y-T-A-N-K.org, they'll end up on our website. We have a monthly newsletter where I am honest as I can be about the experiments that we're doing, where we're failing, where we're bumping into roadblocks, where we're succeeding. All of those are there where we, we put calls for new ideas. We put calls for partners to join us in, in these ideas. So we're always looking to do work with other people. And that is where we will also offer some workshops related to my book. The book is called How to Try, Design, Thinking, and Church Innovation. It'll be published by Church Publishing uh, in July. The pre-sale started in February, uh, later this month in February. Uh, and so I'm, I'm super excited about that because it means that we'll be able to create other people and maybe even... Rabbi, I will send you a copy of the book, and, and who knows, you, you will welcome the future with open arms, and before you know it, you'll, you'll be on TikTok, and you'll be like, <laughs> Rabbi, yeah, see you next time. Go ahead. You'll have a, a, just a little box of Tic Tacs. He said Tic Tacs, right? I have my Tic Tacs. <laughs> <laughs> what do I do with them? What do I do with these yeah. Tic Tacs? Lorenzo said I'll be in the future with these Tic Tacs. Yeah, do I just give them to young people? What's happening? <laughs> uh. Yes, well, well, fortunately, Rabbi has three beautiful daughters and a wife who uh, are definitely leaned into the future. I mean, it, it's, it's so I, I think the pairing, and she's also Rabbi's wife, that the two of you together um, are, are a dynamic duo. So I usually say, Rabbi, just go ask your daughters, go ask your wife. She, she'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and you allow your daughters. That reality is, is true. You yes. know, when I, when I, you know, my kids, my kids will do, you know, 35,000 TikTok videos a day. I mean, they love it. And when I'll say to my kids, <laughs> how do you do this? And my daughter goes, come on, dad. Let me sit you down and just show you. 
Doink, 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 doink. <laughs> what was that? Dad, you're you're so in the past. So, in the so past. what what if there was on on their TikTok feed an 18 second prayer that they would just pause for a second and just pray? So maybe that could be your opening, Rabbi, to go on TikTok and just for 18 seconds say. Just pause for a second and know that you are beloved by God and that God is with you even here on TikTok right now. And that's enough. Just recognizing that God is with us is the great start for a beautiful, beautiful relationship with our creator. I love it. Well, let's not just say I love it. Here on air, live here on WSTU 1450, Rabbi, can you agree to a 10-second TikTok video or 30-second TikTok video about prayer and pausing? Uh, I didn't hear you. Yeah, I said sure. Oh yes, boom, <laughs> Lorenzo! Look what you did. look what you did. All right, everyone. Call uh, it a day. This is another episode, Lorenzo. We we know we've been watching the sunrise slowly throughout this whole show out through your window. It started very dark, and uh, you, we can see the desert and the mountains. I think he's going to take us there right now. Yeah, um, look at the. It's actually kind of cloudy this morning, but there it is. Wow, you really live in just a horrible area. Um, hey, we have to shelter so in place. There are worse places in Palm Springs. Yeah, so uh, Lorenzo's showing us a beautiful, beautiful back, that background of uh, where he finds God and his peace, uh, keeps his mind right as while he's not being George Clooney and up in the air. And uh, <laughs> all right, so ladies and gentlemen, please, if you've missed the, uh, this episode, please, you can always go into our podcast, A Priest and a Rabbi. We'd love for you to subscribe and be part of this community and leave a comment, let us know what kind of stuff are you interested in when it's dealing with faith, of, uh, of, of relevant topics. We always try to look through a Judeo-Christian lens with this, and you can see everything we've had on the past. It deals with politics. We get people from um, the sports world, from all over the world. So we'll see you here next Friday on A Priest and a Rabbi here on 1450 AM and on the podcast. Peace and God bless.